The preceding message is brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. Stay tuned after this message for more information about Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. Um, over the course of this weekend, um, we've been um, just um, basking in God's presence, enjoying His presence in the women's conference that's held this weekend. And um, the topic that we have been examining is courageous. Uh, we started, we kind of started on Thursday evening with uh, women in leadership. Uh, we had a seminar. And then we had the conference start proper on Friday evening. And then we had yesterday. And now we have this morning, which is, you know, of course, not just women, but men and women, which is so very good because women need to be courageous and men need to be courageous as well. You know, we all have assignments on our lives, placed upon our lives by God. And any God-given assignment requires courage to fulfill. Life requires courage to be meaningful. You know, a life lived that does not require any courage, I don't know if it's really, I know for sure that it's not the kind of life God has called you to. It's not the fullness of God's call upon your life. If you are waking up and sleeping every day and nothing makes you seek God because, you know, it's posing to be more difficult than your own ability, then um, we need to go ask God, Lord, where's the life you really made for me? Amen? But this, can't clear, this is clearly not it. But if we are going to follow God, if we are going to live for God, if we are going to make a mark on our generation, if we are going to live and people will know that we did live, then we are going to need courage. To be courageous means to be brave. It means that we are moving forward despite the danger, despite the risks, despite the fact that everyone else may think that, um, you know, it's safer to just stay still. Despite all the natural indicators that um, it may not be the safest way to go. But we move forward in confidence knowing that it's the way that God will have us go and it's what God will have us do. You know, when we look in the Bible, all the heroes of faith, all the people we talk about, all the stories that we read in the Bible, if we really go to think about those stories deep enough, we realize that the reason why those people are in the Bible is because they exhibited courage. Um, they did it, it's not something they consciously did, right? In fact, while they were going through certain things and making certain decisions, they probably just did knowing it was the right thing to do. They probably did not go and sit down and say, I am about to be courageous here. Everybody watch me. <laughs> because oftentimes when life places a demand on us to be courageous, while we are going through it, we don't even know that we are exhibiting courage. It's after when you do a postmodern. When you look back and see what just happened, that's when you do realize that, well, I said yes to God, and then he took me on a journey where he carried me. Amen? When the angel appeared to Mary and said, behold, you will have a child. You will be a child. You know, you will conceive of the Holy Ghost, and you will be a child. His name will be called Jesus. You know, now when we look back, we're like, you know, we have a whole... Um, don't call it denomination, religion, that worships Mary today because of her courage and because of the woman that we see her to be. And we in, in, in Christendom, we appreciate, we appreciate her and we appreciate her willingness to obey God. But she didn't say yes because she knew that would happen after. She didn't know that years later, people in reference to the uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in, in, um, would recognize the channel through whom he came and appreciate the fact that this virgin girl chose to say yes to God. So when she was saying yes, she didn't know all that would happen. All she knew was that she was submitting to God's will in spite of the fact that it was going to bring stigma in our day. Amen? 
In fact, later when we read Joseph's reaction to our bogus story, quote and unquote, when she came to him and said, God did it. <laughs> the Bible says Joseph began to plan within himself. I was going to put her away secretly. In other words, he didn't believe her. <laughs> so I'm sure um, she wasn't a stupid girl. She was young, but she wasn't stupid, I'm sure. So when the angel was saying all these things, she must have realized that <laughs> this is going to be very difficult to explain, no? <laughs> and she must have realized that it was going to cause a bit of pain for her. She was going to be uh, looked at a certain way, gossiped about if this came out. You know, if Joseph had put her away like he planned to, it would have been, uh, it would have been quite a mess. You know, but, and she had no guarantee that he wouldn't put her away. So it was courageous of her. It was a display of courage to respond to this request from God. Will you bear my child? Will you carry my child? It was, uh, it was courageous of her to say, be it unto me according to thy word. So sometimes courage is as subtle as that. Courage doesn't mean you are shouting and letting everybody know you are being courageous or you are doing something extraordinary. Sometimes courage is an inward quiet strength. It's you just staying put when you want to run away. It's you just having that staying power when you want to give up. It's you saying in spite of, I'm going to say yes to God. And sometimes saying yes to God is not just the first yes. <laughs> it's continuing to say yes to God. Because sometimes we say yes to God, and then we, until we get to the battle, I say, ah, it's this big. <laughs> Lord, can I change my response? Uh, so it's not just saying yes the first time. It's continuing to say yes. And one thing I realize is that once we say yes, then God carries us through. You know, he supplies the power. You know, yesterday, um, the woman of God, Dr. Victoria Michaels, preached something that really capped the day very well. The Holy Spirit, the agent of power and courage. And you know, after the, after the meeting, we were talking in the green room, and, 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 and she was saying something that dawned on me at this, as she, when she was preaching that we'd been talking about courage all this while, and we didn't even connect it with the part of the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit that makes us courageous. And she was telling me that when the Lord told her to um, teach on the Holy Spirit yesterday, that it was like, it just it had a, oh, duh. Like, <laughs> you know, what's courage without the Holy Spirit? And we talked about, okay, the will, the determination, the decision, the blah, blah, blah. But all the will, all the determination in the world is not enough without the ability of the Holy Ghost. The ability of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Holy Ghost to carry us through. So really, at the end of the day, courage is all about the Holy Spirit. That was so powerful. You know, in the course of the ministration yesterday, Something, you know, something came up in my spirit. And I began to pray, Lord, make me the kind of person that fulfills the destiny that you have called me to fulfill. Or make me the kind of person that fulfills the destiny you have for me. And this is what, um, let, me, let me explain that. I mean, it was something that came by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as he said it, I understood what he was saying. For example, if my calling required talking to people, which it does, amen? And I'm a quiet person, which I am. <laughs> you know, if I'm looking at that call based on my natural abilities, I'll be like, I cannot do it, you know? I'm telling you, you may not believe it today, or maybe you do believe that I'm quiet. Well, when you compare me with my husband, you know that I'm quiet, amen? But really, I'm such a person that likes acquired so much or used to, you know, like acquired so much that when I was pregnant with our first child, my husband said, all this, I just want to be on my own and I just want to sit in the room and be quiet. Is that what you are going to be doing to us when my son comes? What you'll be doing to both of us? 
Well, I just want to be quiet. You leave us alone, and I just want to be quiet. Amen. I remember that incident, and I look at my life, and I'm like, God, see what you have done. Amen. So it took God as far as speaking and being more outgoing and relating to people and talking and all that. It took God making me the kind of person I need to be to fulfill my destiny. And that's what the Holy Ghost does. And yesterday as I was thinking about that, I'm thinking about the different things that the Lord has laid on my heart. And I'm looking at myself and my natural limitations. And I'm like, Lord, to be able to fulfill those things, I need you to make me a different kind of person. Amen? Not that he will take away what he has already made me, but he will build on top of that. Because I'm looking at things, I mean, I don't need to share them with you, they are private. Amen? When you see it, you see it. Amen? Uh, I mean, someone says, don't talk. Uh, yeah. It's a song that's coming to my mind, but it's not really a Christian song, so I won't sing it. <laughs> <laughs> and the essence of it is that it's not just, you know, me talking, you know, but you watch and see, you know, you get what I'm saying. There's a way you can talk, 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 talk. God has told me to do this. And there's a place, you know, there's a place for that. But there's a place of quietness where you know God has told you to do certain things. And then you let him work on you to make you the kind of person that does those things. Amen? In other words, it's not a put on. It's not what I pretend to be. But it's what the Holy Spirit has transformed me into. So that I can do it. You know? So the courage, the courageous part, on my part, the display of courage is in saying yes, in spite of the fact that I know that I can now do it in my own strength and ability. So when I say yes, and I allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, he is the agent of power and of courage. He's actually the agent of change. The person who strengthens you from the inside, who takes a Peter that was running away from a little child and makes him a person that evangelizes 3,000 people in one day. That was a transformation and a change. You know, I've seen the Holy Ghost change people. Yeah, I, going back to the, again to, I mean, I'm talking a lot about the guest minister we had this weekend because she's somebody I do so admire her and admire and just respect God's power and God's hand upon her life. The last time we had um, women's, that was over eight years ago, women's conference in Chicago. And on this particular occasion, there was this lady, she was one of the most timid people. And I'm, as I said this, I'm making boast on the Holy Ghost and what the Holy Ghost can do in someone's life. She was one of the most timid people I knew. Very quiet. I mean, you knew she was there, but, you know, you didn't know much about her because she was too timid to even talk much. And on this particular day, the, that night during the women's conference, um, Pastor Victoria took her and begin, began to walk her up and down the hall and said, repeat after me, I am beautiful, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. So at first she started with a whisper, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful. And then all of a sudden she began to scream, I'm beautiful. Then she began to cry and to scream, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful. It was like night and day, the quickest transformation I've ever seen in my life. It's like someone walked into that meeting, another person walked out. In the next few weeks, this person became someone who was dancing in front of the judge. Amen. Someone who was talking freely. So, I mean, today you can't even know. You can't even know. She's one of the most expressive persons on social media, one of the most expressive. I mean, she can't be. I remember at our last uh, women's retreat, we have a women's retreat in December. I was on the table with herself and another lady that I've had uh, the opportunity to groom and raise over the years. And we had younger ladies on the table, you know, who were the age, at the age that these older ladies were when I met them, you know. And these younger ladies were asking certain questions about life. And then I was there, I started to answer. And this girl took over. I'm like, I just kept quiet. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I've raised, oh yeah, go, 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 yes, go speak. 
they just took over. Blah, 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 blah. I, did I feel offended that she printed me? I'm like, no, I raised her. Go ahead. Amen. I'm proud of you. Go ahead. But the Holy Ghost changes us and makes us the person that can carry out the plan that God has for us. So it's very, very profound when we say the Holy Spirit is the agent of power and of courage. But our own part is saying, is, is being courageous in saying yes to God. You see, it's the one who supplies the power, it's the one who supplies the ability, it's the one who supplies the know-how, it's the one who supplies everything. But it's at the end, other side of your yes. When we look in the word, we see that there are many reasons why we shouldn't hold back and shy back and shy away from embracing God's call, God's next plan, or something that maybe God has not told you expressly, but you just know it's the next level. You know, it's not always that God will come and tell you, you know, take on this um, project, take on this, um, uh, um, this assignment, okay, um, stretch for this next level. Sometimes it's just something in your heart that says that I ought to be more. Something in your spirit that says, you know what, I've been at this level for too long. Something that sees something in somebody else's life and says that, you know what, I aspire to be like that. Amen. Um, courage can be manifested in your aspirations to be better, to be, to be greater, to be more, to look at Another person's life, and instead of being jealous, instead of being hungry, instead of finding all the excuses where they can be such and you cannot, to say that, you know what, that gives me an image of where I can go to and get to. It has courage, you know. Um, somebody who is not courageous will act otherwise, will, do all, will, will display all kinds of emotions, will pull those, that person down. We'll say after it's not that great. Yes, it is. Amen. All it is is that you are jealous. It's that great. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, why should we be courageous? Amen. Should be courageous because God is with you. Is with you to help you. I think we talked a bit about this on Friday. On Friday evening. Deuteronomy 31, verse 7 to 8, Moses told Joshua, be courageous because God is with you. And then God said himself in Joshua chapter 1, he said to Joshua in verse 6, in verse 7, and then finally in verse 9, verse 6, verse 7, he said, be courageous, be courageous. And in verse 9, he said, be courageous because I'm with you. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 to 6, he said that I'll never forsake you, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is with me, I shall not fear what man can do unto me. So I can be courageous because I know that God is with me. And he's not just with me as a bystander, he's not just with me as an onlooker, he's with me to help me. Somebody say God is with me to help me. Now, number two, you should be courageous because of who you are in Christ Jesus. Who we are in Christ Jesus. When we know who we are in Christ Jesus, when you know who you are in, you know, um, there's this song, you know, it says, my father may not be Dangote, right? Or Adeleke. But that song then has a different spin. It's talking about what she's going to do or he's going to do. But... Um, what it's saying is that when you know who you are, you know, I'm the child of Dangote or the child of Odeleke, it gives a certain kind of boldness, right? You know the son of who I am? Amen. It gives a certain kind of boldness. A kind of audacity. Even rudeness sometimes. Why? Because I am the child of so, so, and so. So knowing who you are brings about courage. Yeah. It gives you courage. When you lose the sense of who you are, then you lose your courage. I'm reminded of the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
from verse 1 to 50. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. <laughs> Amen. We're told of um, the Israelites being challenged by a champion of the Philistines called Goliath. And it referred to them. He said, bring me somebody, you servants of Saul. And obviously, all the, the army, all the, all, the, all the soldiers, the army, the people that were supposed to be mighty men, people that were supposed to protect the rest of the people, they saw themselves as the sons of Saul, servants of Saul. And as a result, what can servants of Saul do against the mighty giant? So they did the smart thing. They ran away. They pulled back. Nobody stood out um, of the crowd. Nobody stuck his neck out. Until a boy came who realized that he was more than a servant of Saul. When David came on the scene, David did it even, he, didn't, he didn't waste time. He jumped straight to the reward. <laughs> you know what? There are some things that are easy picking when you know who you are, everyone else is running away from the opportunity because all they see is their own ability. But you come and see yourself as who you are in Christ. So it's easy picking for you because of the revelation you have. David had a revelation that helped him to go straight to the reward. Like, Goliath, it's not even the issue. What are you going to give me? What an audacity. Why was it that audacious? We see it in what he, went, what he said. He said that, oh, he first said it the first time. He looked, I'm sure he got on that say, and he was so shocked because he saw things from a different perspective. And he said, Let, let's, let's go there. Let's go to first, first Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel 17. Okay. And you see in verse 10, you see the, um, Goliath said, it says, and the Philistine said, I defy, the, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that may fight to get, that we may fight together. <laughs> so David came on the scene. It's like, who is this guy? What does he think he is? Defying the armies of the living God. <laughs> And he said in verse, uh, okay, in verse 26, then David spoke to the man who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Whereas um, Goliath saw servants of Saul, whereas the other members of the army saw themselves as servants of Saul and just an ordinary army, David came on the scene and saw two things here. First of all, he saw an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, that word uncircumcised is very telling about David's mindset. Ha. To David, there were only two kinds of people on earth. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. They're wearing big, tall, short, fat. They're wearing giants and normal people. They're wearing full animals and men. Amen. <laughs> to David, there were only two kinds of people. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. What does it mean? Or what did it mean to be circumcised? Or what does it mean? Because well, it means something different. Right now, it's just a physical thing. Then, it was a mark of a relationship, a covenant relationship with God. We see the first person that circumcised the himself and the members of the, his household. It was Abraham. After he had come into covenant with God, as a sign and a mark of that covenant, he circumcised himself and all the men in his household to show that as from today, we are in a special relationship with God. 
Not just any kind of relationship, but a covenant relationship. A relationship that says that God has committed himself to us. A relationship that says we will never be looked, we, we will not look at ourselves as ordinary people anymore. So on David's mind, it was either you were circumcised or uncircumcised. Meaning it was either God was committed to you or he wasn't. It was either you were a person backed by God or you were a person on your own. No matter how strong you are in the natural. So David came on the scene and he saw it as black and white. Night and day. No gray areas here. And he went straight to the point. Who is this relationship with God? Who is this man who is just on his own, in his own might and strength? Who is this man who is, does not have the commitment and the backing of God? And how can he come and defy the armies of the living God? Then he went on to tell Saul, he said, the lion came. Your servant killed him. The bear came, same difference. Uncircumcised Philistine. Lion, bear, cockroach, ant. All of them, same group. Because to me, there are only two kinds of people that exist. The people who are gods, who's God, who, God, who are not just committed to God, but God is committed to them in covenant. And the people who have no idea of this covenant... You know, David could have gone and spat on Goliath and killed him with his spit. <laughs> he could have gone. I'm telling you, just throw stones. Because it wasn't the stone that killed Goliath. It was that courage based on covenant. Courage based on the fact that David knew who he was. Amen? When you know who you are, things look different. When you know you, who you are, the, the, the world suddenly takes a different, different look. You have a different perspective. Come on. So, you can be courageous because you know who you are. David knew who he was in his covenant with God. But with us, it's even gone several notches higher, several steps higher. Because we're in covenant with God, but it's a different kind of covenant. It's a covenant that's as a result of our, that is as a result of our position in his son. When we know who you, we are in that son, when we know who we are in Christ Jesus, and we see ourselves based on who we are in Christ Jesus, then it's hard to develop courage in us. Now, who are you in Christ Jesus? I'm just going to talk about three things you are in Christ Jesus. Number one, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness means that you can stand before God without any sense of inferiority. You can stand before God without feeling different. Without a sense that you are not worthy. Without a sense that you don't belong there. You can stand before God in that sense because you have the same nature as he does. So, in Christ Jesus, we are his righteousness. And because we know that, we can be courageous. Righteousness means being right. You are right with God, and therefore you are right with man. And the devil dare not stand up to condemn you. Now, let me give you a very... Um, maybe a very practical example. There are many situations that make us feel unright. And righteousness just cuts across every one of such situations. Have you been in a company of people that you considered smart people before? You know, they are talking about all these smart things and you suddenly felt wrong. Amen? You know what that wrong, when I say wrong? It's not that you are wrong, but you feel like wrong. Amen? Sometimes when I go into the gym, Amen. I'm, I'm trying to do more of that these days. Amen. As we grow older, the things don't live the, as easily as they used to. 
Amen. It used to be that I could boast. I can eat any. No, I wouldn't boast, but in my mind, you know. Ah, I got away with it again. Just ate all that cake and all that chicken and all that doo-doo. And there I am on the scale. And it doesn't even look like, like it. Uh, now, <laughs> as I'm eating it, it's <laughs> like my husband. My husband. <laughs> I have to watch what I feed him. Because he will eat it and enjoy it. And then the following day, we'll be like, Ah, rice, did you want me for me land on you? <laughs> Enjoying the rice, eh? And they didn't know the following morning, judgment is coming. Ah, and it's the one my, my, my wife gave me. <laughs> it's the one you gave me. They've been doing it since the Garden of Eden. God help them. Amen. Every woman in the house say, Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, sometimes I go into the gym. And then, I'm trying to lift my 10-pound weight, right? Now I'm maybe 15, trying to walk up. Then one skinny little girl comes. All these white skinny little girls. You think you can take them until, when, if they box you, you'll be surprised because they look skinny. And then she comes and picks up like a 50, no, 35, just to warm up. <laughs> and I'm looking at her. And all of a sudden, I feel wrong. this. Then I start to confess in myself. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hey, well, I'm right anywhere I am. Don't lift your, go, go with your skinny self. <laughs> but I said that to say that this righteousness cuts across every realm. Sometimes we look at it and all in the quote and unquote spiritual sense. But it's a sense of how you carry yourself. I am right. Even when I walk into, into places where you say I don't belong, you know, you don't have the right pedigree, you don't have the right degrees, you don't have the right qualifications, you don't have the right skills. I have something. I'm right. Ha. <laughs> I don't care what this peculiar situation is, but I'm right. It will do you good to carry around that consciousness. I've used it in different settings. I just used the example of Jim. Amen. Or else it will run me. If I don't walk into the with a consciousness of righteousness, some of those guys will run me out because I'll start feeling bad, feeling bad. After a while, I won't go back. Yeah. Amen? Because I don't feel right. Some of us have run away from certain situations, certain settings, certain places, certain high places in the land because of the way people look at you. You walked in and you weren't dressed right. You walked in and you didn't look like a million, a million naira. You didn't carry the Gucci purse and the Gucci belt and the Chanel pin, and the whatever. So you feel wrong. And you let them stare you down. And you walk out of the place of destiny. There are certain places you have to walk in and say, I may not look the part right now. Just give me time. But I'm going to stay right here. Your looks will not scare me. Your looking down on me will not scare me. Because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If God says I belong here, I belong here. And I'm staying put. A consciousness of righteousness gives you courage. Because you know that you did not place that righteousness on yourself. God made you. God said you are right. So you are right. What God has decreed, no man can go back and say, I changed God's mind. No, what's mind? If God's a sign, nobody can countersign. So I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody ought to think about certain things about their lives right now and say that. I'll give you, we'll, we'll make that confession. As, as you make that confession, I want you to do it in faith. Like you're attacking something that's attacking you. You're attacking something that's been harassing you. You're attacking places that have harassed you and have talked down on you. You are telling them, I am right. Amen? Are you ready? Say after me, I am, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say it one more time. I am the righteousness of God 
in Christ Jesus. You are going to say it one more time. And wait, 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 wait. Don't. And this time around, you are going to stand up. And you are going to scream it at the top of your lungs. And say, say it with conviction. Speak to certain places in your life. Are you ready? Yeah. Say after me, say, I am, I am. the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can go ahead and rejoice over that. Amen. You may have your seat. See, the second reason why you can be courageous, knowing who you are in Christ Jesus, or who you are um, that makes you courageous is that you are the beloved of God. Amen? I am loved by God. I am loved by God. What does that mean? The Bible says in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, and verse 18, it says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I am loved of God. In this kingdom, love is our currency. Something is called currency because it flows. It's current. It's a current. It's flowing. So the love of God is flowing to me and flowing through me to others. I am loved. It's a love that is unsearchable. It's a love that's the length, the breadth, the width, the height of it takes the Holy Ghost to reveal to us. It's love that cannot be understood by the natural human mind. It's a love that looked at us when we were wretched, we were wretched sinners, and said, yeah, that's the child I want. That's the child I want. Who goes to a market and picks the worst? In fact, even when People go and they are trying to adopt a child and go to an agency. They are not likely to adopt unless they have a very, very good heart. They are not likely to adopt the one that on visiting day. You know, on, when, when you want to, on visiting day, when they've told every child to be on your best behavior, to be nice with They are not likely to adopt the one who is right off the bat before you've taken him home. It's obviously one of the worst. He's the naughtiest. He's the most unruly. Is the craziest of the bunch. Who looks at that child and says, that's the one, hey, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. <laughs> the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, in our unruliness, in our unworthiness, in our state of helplessness, Christ died for us because he loved us. He loved us. He saw us as messed up as we were. He didn't say, go clean up. Go make yourself worthy. Go make yourself nicer. Go make yourself sharper. Yeah, yes, I like you. I like you. That's how, uh, yeah, come, 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 come. That's the kind of love that this kingdom deals in. I am the beloved of God. He loved me when I didn't have anything to give him. And still, what do I have to give him but my worship and my life? And still that doesn't measure up to what he has given me and still continues to give me. God is committed to you in that love. Now the Bible says that there's no fear in love because fear has, uh, 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 has to do with punishment, a translation says. What does it mean? It means that because we, are, we know we're not perfect, we know that we have failed. You know, we look at our lives, we've made mistakes, we have failed in certain areas. We know that, you know, we are likely to still make mistakes. Uh, there's, there's a certain trepidation that comes with that. There's a certain uncertainness that comes with that. Because we feel like we will be punished for our mistakes, for our imperfection. So sometimes that's what holds us back from certain situations. Because what if I make a mistake? I will receive a punishment for it because that is how the life, like the world is designed. You know, there are repercussions for mistakes. But then the word says that there is no fear in love. 
That fear that comes with a sense of I will be punished for my imperfection doesn't exist in love because love says in spite of my imperfection, I have one who loves me enough to cover me. I'm not saying I won't make mistakes. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. I'm not saying I've not failed and I will not yet fail in certain areas in the future. I wish I could. I wish I could look at my future and say, ah, I've made all the mistakes I will make in this life. I wish. In fact, we get fooled. We think we have. In fact, you feel you can never be dumber than you were last year. You know, every year when God reveals to certain things to me, and I look at one year's drum, I'm like, ah, how was I so stupid? <laughs> how could I have believed that? How could I have thought like that? How could those have been my convictions? I'm like, ah, man, how stupid. Ah, thank God, though, now I'm wise. And then a year later, I'm like, how could I have been so stupid? <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. Even more stupid than the last. <laughs> I'm like, ah, now I've grown. Amen. I'm good. Until. <laughs> so I wish I could stand right now and look at my future and say I'll never make any more mistakes. That would be great. But you know what? The fact that we know we will make mistakes, it causes us to be fearful. It causes us to lack courage. But when we realize that we are loved, we're in the beloved and there's one who loves us enough to cover up for any mistakes we will make. Then you can be bold and courageous. Amen. Amen. If a child was afraid of the fact that they would fall, you know, like I will fall. If I try to walk, I will fall. Is it a lie that they will fall? They will fall. It's not a lie. So they are right in their analysis. I will fall many times, sir. But you as an adult know that the fall will not kill them. Bible says that the righteous may fall seven times. But the Lord raises him up again. Seven is the number of perfection. So seven is not literally, it's not a literal number in that sense. For some of us, seven is three times. Amen. You fall, 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 fall three times. You start the same business three times, and then you mature enough to make it successful. But some of us, seven is 15 times. Some of us, seven is 50 times. Amen. Tell me it's perfection. The righteous may fall and fall and fall until he perfects it. The righteous may fall and fall and fall until he's mature. But you know what? The Lord keeps raising him up. Keeps raising him up. Oh, you fell? Okay, this was why you fell. Don't repeat it again. Okay, now you've learned this. Now you've learned that. Now you've learned this. But that scripture is an encouragement that the fact that you are falling doesn't mean you should stay down. You can keep rising up until you reach perfection in that area. Perfection doesn't mean perfect in that sense because this world is a falling world. But perfection means maturity. Amen? You can get to a place where you stop failing like that and stop disgracing everybody. But it's okay. The fact that you've disgraced everybody and you come to Pastor T one more time and say, yeah, Pastor T. I have to report myself. It does happen again. Amen? Doesn't mean you should stay there. Get up again. Get up again. Because you have a God who loves you enough. I said something yesterday. I said your last mistake didn't kill you. Amen? And then I told the ladies to look at each other and tell one another that, okay, go ahead and make your next one. If you're afraid of making the next mistake, you won't do anything. Yeah. Or you won't do things, you just do little, 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 little things that don't count for much. You won't do any big things, any risky things. You won't stick your neck out there. You won't, stay, you won't step out of the confines that the devil has drawn for you. I want some people here to decide that I'm, I'm getting out of that box. Yeah. That box that's been designed around me. I feel caged and I'm getting out of that cage. Amen. Every time you want to step out, the devil says, what if? And then you go back. You want to step out again, he says, what if? Ah, it's true, what if? And then you're like, let me still use this side and exit. He says, ah, what if? Think, oh, ah, yes, too. Amen. <laughs> Instead of asking, what if I fail? How about we ask, what if God carries me in spite of my failures? In fact, what if I don't fail? 
Amen. So we can be courageous because we know we are the beloved of God. Amen. Finally, you can be courageous because you are the redeemed of God. I am the redeemed. Somebody paid a high price for me. Now, redemption, we are redeemed in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Galatians that Christ has redeemed us from the cost of the law being made a cost for us. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a cost for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Amen? Christ has redeemed us. Now, the word, the redemption wasn't an idea that started in the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament, where the Lord would give the Israelites um, instruction on different scenarios where redemption was needed talked about the fact that in place of a donkey, a lamb could be killed. And then he went on to talk about the fact that in place of the life of a man, a lamb could be killed. Amen? So redemption talks about a substitution. Then when God would recount what he did for the children of Israel, it will say, did I not redeem you with my, out, of, out of the land of Egypt with my mighty strong hand? Then in one other place, he said, which other nation is there that, uh, that their God redeemed them by stretching out his hand and doing mighty miracles? It would, it would use redemption in such terms, meaning that redemption means that somebody did something extraordinarily great for you. That's why I was telling the Israelites, I stretched out my hand, I did miracles, I did wonderful things. I did something extraordinarily great for you. So redemption was used in that, in that sense. And then redemption would be, God would talk about redemption in a man buying back his land. After the seven, and then after the seventh year, it will be given back to him if, if he didn't get the money to buy back his land. So it's kind of like, you know, um, we don't have pawn shops here, but in, the, in Chicago where I live, you have side, you have corner pawn shops, P-A-W-N, where when people are in difficult circumstances, they could go sell something. They'd go sell jewelry, go sell a watch, go sell something. And then hoping that when they got into better circumstances, they could go back and buy back what they had sold in difficult times, often at a greater price. Amen? So to redeem means to buy back what was yours, but was lost in one way or the other. So when the Bible says we are redeemed, it carries all these three senses with it. The fact that we belong to God and went out of his way to buy us back, not just with anything, but with the precious blood of Jesus. The Bible says you weren't bought with ordinary things, mundane things, common things like gold or silver. Oh, wow, okay. Like, well, I don't look at gold as if it's common. Amen. <laughs> well, God says as much as you might esteem those things, as great as they may look, at, look like in your sight, that what you have been bought with, Hallelujah. in comparison to those things, makes those things, as ordinary, makes those things ordinary and plain. He says you weren't bought with cheap things. You are not cheap. God bought you back. In redeeming you, God bought you back. And you were not cheap. He bought you back with the blood of his son. Amen? Redemption carries the sense that somebody did something extraordinary for you. When Jesus went on the cross, it was extraordinarily difficult. Amen? In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. He said if there was any other way. In other words, if Buddha could get these people to you, if Hare Krishna could, amen? If paying penance, if being good enough could, if they could be good all their life and get to you, let this cup pass over me. If there was any other way that they could get to you, amen? 
Do you think that if there was any other way that man could get to God, God would not have spared his son at that prayer? Amen? If you could be a Buddhist and get to him, if you could practice any other religion and get to him, you think God would not have spared the life of his son? But because the answer was no. It was a rhetorical question. God didn't even say anything. God is like, Jesus, you knew this before you came. <laughs> we talked about this. We laid it all out. We planned it from Genesis all the way through. Amen. I did that big move where I stuck you in a virgin's belly. <laughs> mm -mm. No other way. So what Jesus did was extraordinary to redeem you. And thirdly, a life was substituted for yours, which we know that the life of Jesus was substituted for us. Knowing that all these things were done for you. And if you were the only one, you would still have done it anyway. to make you feel special on your worst day you ought to feel special <laughs> because you are that special to God and if you are that special to him then you should be courageous what circumstance is there that will stand before you and say that in spite of these things you cannot pass no 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 I'm moving forward. Amen? I'm moving forward. Someone say, I'm moving forward. I am courageous. I'm loved. I'm righteous. I'm redeemed. I'm no ordinary being. Amen. Let's go ahead and rise up to our feet. Hallelujah. The preceding message was brought to you by King's Word Everywhere, Nigeria. We are located at Kingsword Auditorium, Etel Avenue, behind NNPC Filling Station, First Bank Bus Stop, off Kudarat Abiola Way, Argun, Lagos. Email kmiafrica at kingsword.org. Telephone 234-810-00-00640.